Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we get back to our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Spiritual Gifts, Part 3, Tongues. Well, today uh, we come to chapter 14, and for those of you who can remember back to September when I was here, um, you remember that we were in this, this is chapter 14, is part of a larger section in 1 Corinthians that starts at chapter 12 and goes through chapter 14, and it's all about spiritual gifts. So in chapter 12, for example, um, the Apostle Paul introduces the concept, and he says, when a person comes to Christ, when, when a person becomes a Christian, when they give their life to Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes inside their life, and one of the things that he does is he, he gives them certain supernatural abilities they didn't have before. He may give them other of these gifts later on in their Christian life to help them to serve one another. And so he gives several examples in chapter 12. And, uh, and then in chapter 13, he t- does a little sidebar on love. And he says, the thing is, though, that these gifts are given to us not to build us up. They're given to build up others in the body of Christ. And so it's important that we use our gifts in such a way to build others up, use them in love. Then he comes to chapter 14, where we are today, and he focuses it on the real agenda, why he's brought this topic up in the first place. And the reason is, is the, the Corinthian church had been blessed with all kinds of spiritual gifts, many supernatural spiritual gifts, clearly supernatural, but they were tending to focus on certain gifts over others, and in particular, they were really focused in on the gift of tongues. Now, if you've been a Christian a while, you're probably familiar with that gift, you've heard of that gift. If you're new at this, um, this, the gift of tongues is the ability to speak to God in a language that you've never learned before. And admittedly, of all the spiritual gifts, I'm the first to admit, this is like the weirdest gift of the bunch. And it's really like, well, why would God give someone a gift to praise him in a language that they've never learned? I mean, just, you know, you don't agree with me that that's just kind of like, like, whoa, why, you know, why would that happen? And so, but, but it's obviously a very supernatural sort of gift, and so it had, they're really taken by this, and apparently it was causing a lot of problems in their congregation. What you had is you had people showing up who, uh, and, and remember this, that when we think of church today, we think of large auditorium like this, hundreds of people, but remember in those days, churches just met in large homes. So they were much more like a small group, or a life group, or maybe two or three life groups, than, than this kind of assembly. And just like in a life group, they're very participatory, you know? Like here, we don't have people standing up throughout the whole service and praying, and well, I got an idea for you, and here's what I learned this week, and it's just too big, it wouldn't work in a big setting like this. But in a, your home fellowship, you do that, right? You share what God's teaching you, a new insight, uh, you, t- you pray, you take turns praying, and so on. And so ima- as we go through chapter 14, you need to imagine that large home type of setting to understand this. But anyway, apparently what was happening is they were so taken with the gift of tongues that during their services, sometimes they they would just all be speaking out at tongues at the same time. There was no interpretation of that, no one to explain what was going on. Um, <coughs> and even non-believers were coming in. And can you imagine how crazy it would be uh, as a non-Christian coming in to room everyone's speaking in tongues? It's like you think, these are crazy people here, you know? And so instead of drawing people to Christ, it was repelling them. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to do in this passage is he's going to basically say, yes, God has given us in the church certain supernatural gifts. But we need to use some common sense in the way we use them, you know? And in particular, he's going to compare two specific gifts. The gift of 
uh, speaking in tongues, who I described, with the gift of prophecy, which is the ability to speak um, uh, a message from God, that's, but it's in normal language. It's a fresh message from God for the coming, in a normal kind of a language everyone can understand. And he's going to say, you know, in the public setting, unless there's someone who inter- has the gift of interpretation of these lang tongues, you really shouldn't use it. He should use these other gifts like prophecy. And he gives some examples from everyday life just to make his point. And then he gives some examples from his own life. It turns out the Apostle Paul not only had this gift, it was very important in his own personal life, but he said in a public setting he did, would not use it for the reasons stated. And then he ends it up with a, a challenge. He says, come on guys, um, it's time for us to grow up as a church. He says, you know, yes, God's giving you these gifts, but you use them in crazy ways that are not building each other up. You need to stop thinking like children, this is quote, start thinking like adults, okay? So that's the flow where we're going to go. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, uh, we're going to do what we often do, walk through the passage, make sure we get it, uh, follow his, uh, his line of thinking, his teaching, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the practical implications and what about this really controversial gift of tongues? What, what does the Bible teach about it? Because it's one of those areas is if we're not clear on, we can clearly get derailed uh, in our lives. So let's uh, start off in chapter 14 and verse 1. Uh, starts off very strong statement. Remember chapter 13, he was all about using your gifts in love. So he picks it up in verse 1 and says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow the way of love. He says, in your church, make sure as a church you're always walking the path of love. However you use the gifts, stay on the path of love but also eagerly desire spiritual gifts and especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't really speak to men. He's really speaking to God. And indeed, no one understands him unless you happen to speak the language that he's speaking. Like if he's speaking in French and you speak French, of course, you'd understand. But for most people, and, um, no one's going to understand him and he, uh, because he utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies, now again, bringing a fresh word from God, but in the normal language of the congregation, that person speaks to men for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. And next week, we'll look at the gift of prophecy in chapter 14. Anyway, so verse 4, he said, so he who speaks in a tongue, he edifies himself. It's a growth experience for that person. Um, but he who prophesies in known language builds up or edifies the church. He says, now, I, I would love for all of you to speak in tongues. We'll see later that he does not mean that everyone should have this gift or could have this gift. It's very clear. All he's just saying is that, hey, I have the gift. It's a great gift. I'd love it if you all had it. He says, but, you know, if I, had my, uh, if I had my druthers, I'd rather that you prophesy because it's more effective and powerful in the, the uh, church setting. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues. In other words, it's more effective in that church setting. Unless he interprets, that'd be the exception, so the church can be edified. So this opening section, he's basically just saying, hey, use your heads. We need to make sure we're in this whole area of spiritual gifts. We're on the path of love. Yes, pursue spiritual gifts. Let's do it an appropriate way. In particular, don't use tongues unless there's someone to interpret. Use the gifts that are going to build people up, okay? Now there on your note sheet, you'll probably have picked up already, but I've kind of broken down this study into several sections. So we just finished that section um, that's uh, called uh, (laughs) Prophecy is Better Than Tongues Unless There's Interpretation. Now turn the page. We'll go on to the next little section here where he says, if you use the gift of tongues in the service, then it needs to be uh, translated. 
So he's saying he's going to give some illustrations. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you, like I come to your little, you know, picture this home church situation, your, your home, your uh, whatever, your group. If I come to you and I speak in tongues, really what good will I be to you unless I bring some other kind of spiritual gifts like revelation or a gift of knowledge or a gift of prophecy or a word of instruction like teaching? Um, he says, even in the case of lifeless things, and now he begins to give some illustrations, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in notes? So just imagine here, like every weekend we start with worship, right? So let's imagine that the worship team, instead of coming out and playing together, they all decide they're going to do their own thing. You know, so, so over here a keyboardist says, we're going to do like, how great thou art. And she starts playing how great thou art. And, and uh, Jathan starts playing how great is our God. And, and then over here the bass player is playing great is the Lord. You know, you see what I'm saying? It's like it would be cacophony, right? No one would understand. You couldn't make sense. And he's just using illustration to say, that's what's happening in your church when everyone's speaking in tongues. No one understands this craziness. So that's his first illustration. His second illustration comes from battle. And you know, in ancient times, when the Roman legions would go out, they would have these trumpeters that they had, what, 64, uh, 62 different kinds of trumpet sounds to let the people know in battle what to do because you didn't have little earphones or you didn't have headsets or something to communicate with one another. So the, the trumpeters would, would, you know, sound, and they ha- then they had to be sounding the same, you know, message to charge or retreat or whatever. And so he uses that as an example. Verse 8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call who will get ready for battle. And so it is with you. Unless in your church you speak with intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You're just speaking into the air. And then he uses one final illustration of foreign language. Uh, you know, Lynn and I just got back from Europe and so a lot of foreign languages. And we were actually in three different countries, so three foreign languages. You know, so we're in, uh, we're in France and they're speaking. Help me here. French, very good, very good. Just checking. Um, we're in Italy and they're speaking Italian. We're in uh, the United Kingdom and they're speaking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what they're speaking. <laughs> Let's call it British. I hate what they've done with our language. <laughs> uh, just, you just, you, you know, you just don't, it's like, what's up? You, know, you get off the train there and they'll say, mind the gap, mind the gap. And you're like, a gap? I don't need any new clothes. Like, where, you know, what's a, and they're like saying, don't fall in the hole, you know, <laughs> or you, know, you, like you, you ask for a bathroom and they're with the WCs, and you know, WC, it's like WC Fields, WC, you know, <laughs> what's a, so, but you know, we're over there, and, and this often happens to us in Europe, is that we're at a table, and there's Germans at one table, and there's Italians at one table, and there's French at one table, and there's someone else over here, and, and since Lynn and I are basically monolingual, um, <laughs> uh, you know, we're just kind of out of it. And so they're, they're speaking a language that means something, but we can't really participate. And that's what Paul is saying is this third illustration here. As he says in uh, uh, verse uh, 10, Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, and yet and none of them is without meaning. But if I do not grasp the meaning of what someone's saying, then I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he's a foreigner to me. And so it is with you and your church. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, that's a good thing, but try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Now, next section. It's kind of surprising, but he, um, he, he's going to talk to us. He says, well, what about... He's kind of imagining the person in, in their house church that has the gift of tongues. And they're like, well, why would God give me this gift if I'm not supposed to use this gift? You know, like, that seems kind of weird. And so, like, what if I don't have the gift of, inter- I have the gift of tongues, I don't have the gift of interpretation, what am I supposed to do? And he's kind of envisioning that. And basically, he's going to say, well, you've got a couple options. 
Uh, one option is pray that God would give you the gift of interpretation. You know, and then, and then you're good. He says, but if God doesn't answer that prayer, <laughs> if he doesn't give you that gift, the second thing he says is you don't have to always use your gift. You know, that you can, um, and he begins to explain how tongues work. He says, when, when a person is speaking in tongues, he says their spirit is praying, okay? That they're communing with God in their spirit, but it's kind of bypassing their brain. He says their mind is unfruitful. And so he says, the thing is, is when you're in a public setting, you know, uh, you can pray with your, your mind like with everyone else, just do normal prayer. You can pray with your spirit, just keep it to yourself, just do it, you know, quietly with yourself because those around you won't understand it, you know, so he just reiterates uh, that point. So he kind of explains, so he basically says there's these two options. This is, you've got these two options. So let's see what he says. Verse 13, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue uh, should pray that he may interpret what he says. So that's one option, okay? You, you pray for that gift. But he says, uh, then he explains how tongues work. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, um, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what will I do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit. In other words, I'll pray in tongues, but I will also pray with my mind. I'll pray just normal prayer, participate. I'll sing uh, with my spirit, you know, s- uh, sing in tongues, so I can do that myself, but I also sing with my mind, like normal worship. Verse 15, he says, because here's the deal, if you're praising God with your spirit, and you're, you're speaking in tongues, how can one who finds himself among those who don't understand, how can he say amen to your thanksgiving? He can't participate uh, since he doesn't know what you're saying. So you may be giving thanks well enough, you know, as you're praying to God in your unknown language, but the other man is not edified, okay? So he's just saying... Um, um, don't feel an obligation. You have to use this gift all the time. Now, a little sidebar here. This is a very important lesson for us uh, as Christians that when God gives us spiritual gifts of whatever kind, that we don't have to use them in every situation, that we need to always follow the way of love. Uh, let me give you an example. Some of you in this room have the gift of teaching. And so what that means is that when you're studying God's word, like when you're doing your life group homework, you're going to typically see way more insights than the average person because you have the gift of teaching and so you see God shows you those things. Now, it would be very inappropriate for you to go to your life group and every other comment you jump in the discussion because you have so many insights, right? That because for the sake of love, you need to hold back and not dominate the discussion, let others have a chance. Uh, some of you have gifts of service or gifts of helps. You might be in your life group, for example, and, and you could always be the first one in to help out with getting the dessert set up or getting the room ready or whatever needs to be done. But there may be someone in your group who's kind of new, sort of shy, and you sense they have the gift of helps, but they're not going to jump in as long as you're doing it. And so you hold back and to give a place for them, right? And so... So when we have spiritual gifts, it doesn't matter what the gift is, we always need to be saying, where's the best way to use it? Is this the right time? Is this the most effective place? And sometimes hold back. And he says it's the same with the gift of tongues, okay? Now, this next section there on your note sheet, he's going to use himself as a personal uh, uh, example. He wants to talk about his personal experience, and, and he uh, says, you know, I'm kind of, let me, he says, let me tell you how I do this in my own life. Now, frankly, this is a big surprise, I think, to many of us, because what the Apostle Paul is going to say is that he actually has the gift of tongues, and it's very valuable to him. But he's going to say, in the church setting, he holds back. He doesn't use it there because he doesn't find it very effective in a church setting. So let's see what he says. In verse uh, 18, uh, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, no show of hands, but isn't that a little surprise? 
Yeah, here's, here's a church that's going crazy with the gift of tongues. They think it's, a, you know, it's just like the most important thing in the world. And he's saying that he uses his gift more than any of them. I mean, I, this is one of those verses that as you're reading through the Bible, for me, it just comes as a surprise. It's like, really? And I, just, I wouldn't have guessed that. They wouldn't have either. And we'll talk more about that later. He says, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So when he says in a, in a, in a public setting, I don't find it real effective. Um, I would rather just be able to just share a very brief message that we all understand than, than impress you all with my, that I have this gift and, and not, uh, uh, not really be helping you grow. And so then final, one final section then um, is that he, he gives them a final challenge that it's time for them to grow up. And so he says in verse 20, uh, brothers, stop thinking like children. Now I want you to catch this. They think of themselves as being incredibly mature, don't they? Because they have the gift of tongues, they see themselves as we are very mature spiritually. Paul says it's exactly the opposite. We'll talk about that more later. He says you're actually, as a church, acting incredibly immature, so stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And then skip down to verse 23, where he gives him an example. He says, so if the whole church comes together, you know, you're meeting in these homes, and everyone... Uh, speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? <laughs> Isn't that great? Just so candid. He doesn't think you're crazy. You know, it reminds me of how I feel sometimes when I come across certain Christian TV shows. You know what I'm saying? H- have you ever been this? You're flipping through the dials, and you come across certain TV shows. They're just so, they're like Christian stations, so out there. You're just hoping and praying to God that no non-believer ever comes across this. Have you ever felt that way? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I hope my friends who don't know Christ, I hope they don't see that. It's so crazy. And they, the people might have good hearts. I'm not saying they don't, but they're not, they're thinking like children. You see, they're not really thinking, what is the most effective way to reach people for Christ? And so Paul says, if you just kind of use these gifts, spiritual gifts, indiscriminately, and people come in, they're going to think you're nuts, and they're not going to be drawn to Christ. And so grow up, use your head. And so this theme that we've been seeing all through the book of 1 Corinthians, that the series title comes from, to change your way of thinking. If you're going to grow up, he says, with spiritual gifts, yeah, they're great things, but you have to use them wisely. And it's such an interesting thing to me that, uh, in Christian circles, I've seen this many times, that, that sometimes there's some parts of the Christian community that want to embrace the supernatural totally. You know, it's like we are supernatural people, and, and, but it just gets really weird. There's other parts of the Christian community because of the fear of that weirdness want to say, oh, yeah, and it's like, let's downplay the supernatural. And what I love about this passage is the Apostle Paul says that what we are called to be as a church is naturally supernatural. You see, that, the, that we're to be a supernatural people. The Christian life is a supernatural life from beginning to end. But he says it's a, it's a life of common sense. It's a life where you use the gifts, these supernatural gifts, use them in a common sense way, in a way that builds uh, the church up. So, okay, so that's the passage. Um, now, uh, in the time that we have together, 
what I want to do is talk a little bit, this kind of, kind of a basic overview on what the Apostle Paul teaches about this important uh, gift, this gift of tongues. And I think it's so important for us as a church because this is such a controversial uh, thing in the Christian community, isn't it? And it's often, it's amazing. It'll tear churches apart, it'll derail Christians, it'll divide people. And you know, I think it's so um, unnecessary because the Apostle Paul gives us such a sane and straightforward uh, a teaching on it in these chapters. So what I want to do today is just kind of lay out three principles. These might be the sort of things that you might be for you right now that you're going through this, but more likely there'll be a time in your life when this will save you. That this, this teaching will really prepare you for just uh, 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 to from, keep you from getting derailed. So let's jump in. Number one, there in your note sheet. Number one, uh, I think the place where we need to begin is that the gift of tongues is not a sign of spiritual maturity. And this is so important. This is the mistake that the Corinthians were making. They, they saw themselves as um, uh, spiritually mature because they had this particular sign. I was talking with a young couple not very long ago here at Rocky Peak, really solid couple, uh, uh, love, love God, walking with God, uh, tremendous walk, just, just a neat couple. And, and recently they had run into someone who had said, asked them, um, you know, have you ever, do you have the gift of tongues? And they said, well, no, you know, we, we don't have that. And they said, well, you know, everyone can have that gift, and we'll talk more about that later. And if you don't have that gift, you know, you're not fully walking with the Lord. And so this young couple, so strong in the Lord, so walking with, were suddenly questioning themselves. You know, this is, is something wrong with me? And this has often happened in church history that tongues are seen as a sign of spiritual maturity. I think the first thing that leaps out to me from this chapter is how, how, that, how it's just not true. In fact, the book of Corinthians like, is, uh, kind of shows exactly the opposite of that. Because the Corinthian church of all the churches in the New Testament were one of the most immature churches, right? In fact, he said it right here, stop thinking like children, and yet they had the gifts. Now, here's the thing, and this is such an important principle for us to catch as a congregation. We often miss, is in our spiritual life, there is no connection between our spiritual giftedness and our spiritual maturity, okay? I want you to catch that. There's not a connection necessarily between our spiritual giftedness and our spiritual maturity. And we make this mistake all the time in Christian circles, um, not just in areas like this with tongues, but in all kinds of areas. For example, you'll have a great speaker like, uh, let me give you an example you just had, like Chris Brown, dynamic speaker, isn't he? He comes, he's uh, just an amazing speaker. And we will see a speaker like that, and we will assume because of his giftedness that he is spiritually mature. Uh, now, Chris is spiritually mature, by the way, <laughs> but, but uh, we'll assume that. We'll, ha- we'll go to a concert. We'll have a Christian concert artist that's just uh, amazing vocal, and people come to Christ, and we will assume because of those gifts that they are spiritually mature. We'll, we'll read a book by a Christian professor at maybe a seminary or a Christian college on apologetics who's just so bright and can answer all the questions, and we'll assume because of the giftedness that there is maturity. Uh, we will uh, come across, it could be some of the supernatural gifts we've been taught, some of gifts of healing, or like gift of tongues, or prophecy, and we'll assume, oh, they must be, God must be especially close to them. And I want you to catch this, that there is no connection between giftedness 
in maturity. And where it shows up, you'll see this in the Christian community, where someone who's this highly respected leader, extremely gifted, and all of a sudden you find out they've been having an affair for 15 years. Or you find out that they, they've been uh, f- committing fraud in the finances of their organization or something. And everyone's shocked. It's how could that ever be? They're so gifted, you see. And it's like, well, there's not necessarily a c- connection. And what the Bible says is if you want to measure our maturity, you have to measure not our giftedness, but our character, you see. Are we becoming like Jesus? Are we thinking like Jesus? Are we acting like Jesus? Is the character of Christ becoming our character? That's the way you measure it. Uh, Jesus talked about this. He used the analogy of fruit. He said the way you tell, uh, the way you tell a person's maturity, uh, you, way you, is you, uh, the way you tell that whether a tree is a good tree or a bad tree is by the what? By the fruit, right? You tell it by the fruit. Paul picks up this example in the New Testament in the book of Galatians and he talks about what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you've been a Christian a long time, you're familiar with that phrase, the fruit of the Spirit, but we often forget what it means. It's picking up on Jesus' analogy. You tell a person, whether it's a a healthy person, a healthy spiritual person, or or not a healthy person, by the fruit that's produced. Well, what kind of fruit? What does that look like? Well, there in your note sheet, I put this quote from Paul in Galatians chapter 5 where he lays this out. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit, and I want you to catch this, The fruit of the Spirit, there's going to be nothing in this lift about giftedness. Okay, there's not not one thing about spiritual giftedness. It's all about character qualities. He says the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, it's joy, it's peace. And and let me get a little sidebar here. That peace is not just personal peace, like you feel at peace with yourself or peace with life. But it's peace with other people. It's the ability to get along. I can't tell you just from being in Christian circles for, you know, so many years, how many, like, top name, say, Christian leaders that, that I would know or have, uh, know of, that behind the scenes, these people say, I know they're up front, image is great, but they're impossible to get along with. Very difficult people, very controlling people, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? They're often behind the scenes, and Paul says, no, one of the fruits of the spirit of maturity is peace, the ability to get along, work through conflict, develop healthy relationships. Look at some of the other things he lists here. Uh, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control. You see how these are character issues? Now, he could have gone on and listed other character issues. For example, he could have said in the New Testament would give us examples of this. Courage, for example, is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Integrity, um, moral purity, humility. These are things that the Spirit produces in our life. See, when the Holy Spirit is working in our life and we're growing in the Spirit, these are the fruits, the evidence. It's a change in who we are as a person. So the mark of maturity, Paul says, it's not if you get up and you have this gift of tongues. He says, it's how you're treating your wife. This is the mark of maturity. It's not if you get up and be a great speaker, but how do you deal with your friendships? How do you deal with conflict? You see, how do you treat people that treat you wrong? These are the marks of maturity. And so this was a mistake the Corinthians were making. They were assuming because they had these supernatural gifts and in particular the gift of tongues that they were mature. And this mistake is often made in Christian circles. It's a mark of maturity. Do you have that gift if so you're mature? If not, you're missing something. And Paul just blows that out of the water and says, stop thinking like children, grow up, think like adults. Okay? Number two, 
Second principle, and this kind of balances off the first one, is that the gift of tongues, Paul says, is a very real gift and it's a valuable gift. And this is a challenge to some of, I think it was a challenge to them. Uh, I think they were blown away when he said this because one of the criticisms of the Apostle Paul, I think, in Corinth was that he probably didn't have this gift. Well, it turns out he did have this gift. He didn't use it because of the reasons stated. But I want you to catch this again, how highly he personally thought of this gift in his own life. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. It says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, I know this is church and all, but can we just kind of be honest for a second? Does that take anyone by surprise? That the apostle, I, yeah, I think often when we think of the gift of tongues, we think of that person, oh, they're out there. You know, they're just like super emotional or not real grounded or the boy, they certainly don't know the word very well or, or they're just into experience or, you know, they're just kind of whatever, right? And it's often when we think of the gift of tongues, we think of that and, and we understand that because often it's presented that way or you've had experiences where it's been that way. But here's the apostle Paul comes along, one of the most sane people you'd ever want to meet, logical rational, wrote uh, 13, uh, half the books of the New Testament almost, and he comes along and he says this is a really important gift in his life. It's a powerful gift, but he just chooses not to use it in this public setting for the reasons stated. And so it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge just to say, okay, so, so it's not a sign of spiritual maturity, but just like all the rest of the gifts, it's a real gift. If God gives it, it's, a, it's, it's given to be a blessing. It's given to be, and, and it's valuable. It certainly was in his life. Now, number three, the third principle. I'm going to spend a little bit more time here because I think this is where the rubber meets the road and often in Christian circles there's disunity and division or we get derailed spiritually because of this. And this is so so important. Number three is that clearly in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches that the gift of tongues is not for everyone. And this is where I think that we often get into trouble because what happened... And you see this happen throughout church history. There'll, there'll be a, a new movement of God or some way, and, and somehow certain new gifts are being released that uh, haven't been experienced before. And, and maybe one of those gifts is the gift of tongues. And so it's a real blessing that people receive it. And pretty soon, this teaching starts growing up that, wow, if you really want to know God, if you really want to experience God, you have to have this gift. And so in fact, in some circles, it'll be taught that if you do not have the gift of tongues, that in one extreme, it'll be said that you do not, you're not even a Christian. You're not even saved. You, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, a more moderate version of that is, well, you do have the Holy Spirit. He's in your life, but um, he's not really fully in control of your life. You don't have all the Holy Spirit. You don't have, you not have everything that you need to have, okay? Now, how many of you have heard that sort of a teaching before? Somewhere in your life? Yeah, a lot of you have. Well, sooner or later, if, if you walk with Christ, you're going to hear that. And it can be so dissettling. It can be so much like, wow, you know, I, I thought I was growing. I thought I was doing okay. Is there something I'm missing? And often be said, you need to have this. You can have this gift. You just haven't been taught it. You haven't asked the right way. You don't have the right enough faith. There's something wrong with you. And it can just be so disheartening and so dis, uh, you know, just uh, so unsettling. It can also cause huge disunity in a body. Because imagine in a church how just all of a sudden you've got the haves and the have-nots, right? And well, we have this gift and you need to have this gift. And if you don't have this gift, there's something wrong with you. And imagine the disunity that that causes of any gift if, if it were like that. 
And so it can be so, so unsettling. And the, the sad thing is, it's so unnecessary because remember, in chapter 12, Paul has already laid the groundwork for this teaching by being so clear on this that this gift is not for everybody any more than any of the gifts are for everybody. Let's go back to chapter 12. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you remember when we were studying this, <laughs> this is a chapter where Paul is just, uh, you know, teaching us that when you come to Christ, certain supernatural abilities are given to you, called spiritual gifts. It's important we use them. But you remember he uses the analogy of the human body. And he says that spiritual gifts are like, we're like the body of Christ. And so we don't all have the same gifts. That'd be crazy, like if we were all eyeballs or we were all ears. Remember that? He said that, no, the, 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 we have different gifts and because we need different things in the body. And so there's, we don't have the same gifts. We, we don't want to have the same gifts. Um, there is no one gift that everybody should have, you see. And he, so the whole chapter is about that. And then at the end of the chapter, in verse 29... If you turn there, so he just to drive the point on, he asks a series of rhetorical questions where he says uh, in verse 29, are all apostles, now what's the question to that? Are all apostles all called? No, right? We're not all called to be apostles. We, 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 don't, we only need a certain amount, right? Um, he says, well, are all prophets? What's the answer to that? No, of course not. Um, are all teachers? Are you all teachers here? All the gift of teaching? No. He says, I mean, that's crazy. The body of Christ doesn't need all teachers. So he's asking a series of questions. He goes on, do all have gifts of healing? Answer, obviously not. Uh, do all speak, uh, uh, do all, well, I skipped one. Do all work miracles? No. Uh, skip on down. Do all speak in tongues? What's the answer? No. Do all interpret? What's the answer? No, see, the whole point is in the body of Christ, we have different gifts. He's spent a whole chapter laying this out, how we have different gifts. And so it's been so clear that uh, the, the gift of tongue, it's a real gift, but it's no more for everybody than the gift of teaching or gift of prophecy or gift of miracles, any of the other gifts, you see. Now, one of the things that often goes along with this teaching is that, well, uh, what you need, that every, there's kind of a two-fold step of the Christian life. You need to come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in your life, but then later on you need a second experience of a, what's called the baptism of the Spirit, and that's when you get the gift of tongues. This often comes with this form of teaching. And, you know, the Apostle Paul already answered that as well. <laughs> Look in chapter 12 and just go back up the page a little bit to verse 13. Now, remember, in the church of Corinth that, you know, some people had the gift of tongues, some people didn't, and... And yet, this is what he says in verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. When you, in other words, when you came to Christ, we're all baptized by one spirit. Now, everyone. So not everyone had that gift of tongues, but everyone was baptized by the spirit. You can't be a Christian without being baptized by the spirit. That's the spirit's one who opens our eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is. And that can't happen without his work in our life. Then he says, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, he says, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So in the Bible, it says when a person comes to, a, to Christ, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul says, if you don't have the spirit, you're none of Christ. So you haven't come to Christ yet. And the Bible uses different metaphors to describe this experience. So Jesus said that we have to be born again by the spirit. That's one metaphor, new birth. Paul says here, you need to drink of the Holy Spirit. It's another metaphor. Jesus used that same metaphor in John 4. Another metaphor is being baptized 
dunked in the spirit. It's, it's, there, there, are th- there are three different metaphors all describing the same experience. And so uh, Paul's really clear in, in 1 Corinthians 13 on this whole issue of the gift of tongues. It's, uh, it's a real gift. It's a valuable gift. It's certainly not a sign of spiritual maturity any other more than any other gifts. And it's certainly not for everyone. But if it's a gift that God chooses to give to a person, that's great. They use it in a way of love, in a way that builds up of the body, and that may just be in your personal use, you know, it's so straightforward. So next week, we're going to be coming back to chapter 14, and looking at the gift of prophecy as he con- contrasts this gift with that gift, okay? So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, and we thank you for this teaching, God. It's just such, been such a controversial area, just sort of a, a weird area, really. It's of all the gifts, I think the hardest one to understand. And you always we thank you for the clarity of your word. It's a real gift that's not for everybody, not a sign of spiritual maturity. If we have it, we need to use it in ways that build ourselves up, build others up. We pray, Lord, that, um, that in our lives we would follow what your, this chapter said to begin with, that we'd follow the way of love, we pursue spiritual gifts in an appropriate way and that we'd be open to whatever you want to do, but we'd always be using these gifts in a way that build others, builds others up. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to end the service a little bit differently today. And just trust me in this. Uh, if you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 14, like I thought we just did that. I went to, there's a real reason for this. So take, take your Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, turn to verse 1. And I want us to read the first half of this verse out loud together. Okay, will you follow me? Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Okay? I want you to do it again. Let's do it again. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Now, one more time. One last time. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And I say, why, Mike, why are we doing this? You know, this week, we're going to go into our life groups. I'm just excited about what's going on in our life groups. So I was talking with Rob, and he said that we have more people now in life groups than any time last year, and it's most, by far the most congregations in them. And this week, you're going to be going in your life groups. And you know, in a congregation as large as ours, we come from all over the map on this issue, don't we? We got some, some of you are like, well, I'm not even sure those gifts are even around today, the gifts of tongues or prophecy. Other sides of you, like you've come from teaching in the past where it's been like, oh, I think it's for everybody and everyone needs this gift. And so we have a broad diversity of people here, right? And this week we're coming together in our life groups. And that scares me to death. <laughs> and so here's what I want to challenge you. You know, throughout this series, We've been learning this principle all through the book of 1 Corinthians over and over again that, that we've been teaching that, that what God's word says is that there are certain things that are just vital that we all agree on. There are certain things that are just core things of what it means to follow Jesus. Who is Jesus? How are we saved? You know, there's just certain things that are core, right? And those are essentials. And those things we all, we're going to buy into and we, we need to stand together. But we've also been learning there's other things in the Bible that are not as clear that good Christians who love God and are studying the word with honesty and integrity, they honestly disagree on, right? And we've been learning throughout this whole series. In those areas, we need to give each other space. We need to have room for discussion, room for freedom to disagree, right? And that's a mark of a healthy church. Well, guess what? This week is our laboratory. <laughs> As we go into our small groups, I want to challenge you to follow the way of love. 
I want you to study the scripture together. This week you'll be studying more what the New Testament says about this gift. You'll be studying that together. I want you to come together. I want you to share honestly from your hearts around the word and just share what your experience has been, good, bad, or otherwise. And let's just be a body. Let's just, let's just share uh, openly and honestly uh, from our hearts. And remember this. There's an old principle that when you're having a discussion with someone, whether it's a believer or non-believer, when a discussion starts generating more heat than light, it's time to get out, right? And so this is a week to see how well we're learning the message of 1 Corinthians. And are we maturing as a body? Paul says, stop thinking like children, right? So how mature are we? Can we come together and share honestly from our hearts and open the word of God and share what our experience has been as a body together? You see, that'll be a test of our maturity. I hope we pass it. God bless you. Have a blast in your groups. And I'll see you at the picnic, okay? I'm looking forward to seeing you all there and catching up. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.